You guys can have a seat. Um, Rick will be preaching from James 1, 1 this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Good morning, how is everybody today? I don't believe any of you with that enthusiasm. Um, let's, let's pray and maybe we can find some enthusiasm. God, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for allowing us to be here together. Thank you for this, uh, this church. Thank you for the family that you've created here. God, I pray that um, this morning and for the next 15 weeks as we study your word and the letter of James, Father, that you would, uh, you would meet us. And Father, but I pray that you would um, guide my words and my thoughts, Father, that we would be centered on your gospel and not legalism, Father. Um, Lord, I pray that we would make much of your son, Jesus, um, because he's what this book is really about. Now, thank you for, for Jesus. Guide us as we study your word in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so uh, one of the best things about belonging to a church, not going to a church, but belonging to a church. One of the best things about belonging to a church is when you get to study a book of the Bible together. And one of the things that Ben and I have been praying about for James, this series, is that we would get to study this book together. Um, and we have Sunday mornings, we have community groups, but we also have opportunities for you guys to be together even outside of, of corporate gatherings, gathering for coffee, gathering with a, a group of guys on a Saturday morning over breakfast and, and talking about these scriptures. And so one of the things that we, a tool we want to put in your hands to help you get there is this. So Josh, you want to start kind of push, passing these things out. We passed some of these out last week, so if you got one, don't take another one. But if you didn't, um, take one of these now. Uh, Can we have them raise their hand? Yeah, if you, if you want one, need one, raise your hand, and, and Josh will bring it to you. So what this is, um, it's a journaling Bible, and it is, uh, let me just show you as they're passing these out. I don't know why I do this. I, I we do stuff like this and pass stuff out, and no one pays any attention to me for like the next five minutes. So I'm just going to go sit over here for a while. And it is cool, isn't it? No, I didn't make it. Um, what it is, it's all of the, the scripture, the ESV version of the scripture, which is what we'll be preaching by. And on the right side of the page is a place for you to journal. Um, and then also on your, let me borrow your bulletin for a second. On your bulletin that, you, that Ben gave you when you came in today uh, is 
This is like the, the dates and the scripture that I'll be preaching on that day. So we gave you this so that perhaps you might want to read and journal and write some thoughts down about what I'm about to preach. So next week is uh, James 1, 2 through 8. So if you want to read that this coming week to be like in preparation and study for that, you've got this for that. So if you want to slide that in, in your little book, that's great too. But the goal, the point, the purpose is for us to engage the scriptures. And again, one of the best parts about belonging to a church is getting to study the Word of God together. And so we'll do that corporately on Sunday morning for the next 15 weeks. We'll do that corporately in community groups for the next 15 weeks. But what I hope this begins to do is for you to do that privately with this and for you to do that with others that are in this room. Maybe somebody in your community group, you would begin to, to study the book of James together um, and apply it to your hearts. And... Uh, Mike has already led us in the call to worship this morning about what that might look like, that the book of James, and this is kind of my, my challenge, because on the surface, the book of James looks like, do these things and don't do these things. And on the surface, that's what it looks like, and, and kind of the who we've been as a church since our beginning is kind of in, in rebellion against that. Like, do this, but, but don't do this. Um, the book of James is not a li just a list of, of commands, though it is um, the most command-rich, perverse book of the entire Bible. There are, I think, 108 verses in the book of James, and there are 59 commands. So more than 50% of the verses, on average, hold the command. And so there's a, a lot of commands that are here. And I think... Um, for us, in this culture, in the, the, the place where we find ourselves, when we come across a command, not, not biblically, but in our lives, when someone tries to tell us what to do, we bow up a little bit. Can we be honest with each other enough to, 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 be, to say, if somebody tells me what to do, I'm going to bow up a little bit because my will, <laughs> he's pointing at his wife over there, um, uh, because I think the, the truth of that is, like, we have really strong wills. And when somebody wants to tell me what to do, we treat that as an imposition on our will, right? Um, but this, it's not, it's not necessarily a negative. So um, who enjoyed a, a muffin this morning? Who enjoyed one of those muffins back there on a diet? You enjoyed the muffin, and, and that muffin is the product of following directions. Like on the back of the box of muffins, it says, preheat oven to 375 or whatever. And it says, add water or add this many eggs or stir this in first and then stir that in later. And like we don't treat that as an imposition on our will. We treat that as guidance to get us to some place that we're going to wind up with a tasty muffin. And I want you to, to see the book of James in, in that respect. So Mia, my sweet little daughter back there, made all those muffins last night. If she had decided, you know what, adding water 
let's just not add water. Let's add coffee. And you're excited. <laughs> that would have been great. Or if you're like me, coffee is gross and it would have been made it awful. Or what if she would have said, I don't really want to use this, these, this powder. I'm going to use dirt. And she's baked, like added eggs and water and whatever to, to dirt. It would have been gross, right? Um, I, I, want you to, I want you to see that. Uh, two good examples of this issue, this idea, is uh, following the will of God, following his commands for us, uh, gossip and lust. Gossip brings, when you engage in gossip, it brings a, a temporary fleeting moment of joy. I'm going to be honest with you. When you gossip, it brings you a temporary fleeting moment of joy, right? Does that do that for you? But ultimately what, what gossip is doing, it's, it's dehumanizing someone else. Like, I'm going to, at your expense, I'm going to make myself feel good. And it's fleeting and it just happens for a moment. And it leaves you worse than you were before. Lust is the same way. It objectifies a human being and dehumanizes that human being. Like, your purpose on this earth is to gratify me. That's dehumanizing. But in a moment, it feels good. When you engage in lust, in that moment, it feels good. But it dehumanizes someone else, and ultimately, it dehumanizes yourself. And I hope that you can see these things when Scripture tells you not to lust, when Scripture tells you not to gossip. I hope you can see it's not trying to rob from you. It's trying to give to you. And that's the heart of this book, when we encounter commands in this book, 59 out of 108 verses, when we encounter those commands, it's my prayer that we will see them as God not imposing his will on us, but God imposing his love on us. You hear that? A command from scripture is not just God imposing his will on you, it's God imposing his love on you. And that's why faith is such a crucial aspect to this book. The little intro video you saw is faith. We put our faith in hundreds and hundreds of little things every day. Every time you flip on a light switch, you're, that's an act of faith. Because when you flip that light on, you expect light to turn on. We place our faith in stuff all the time. That's why understanding that, that God's commands are here for our good is an act of faith. And that's why faith is such an important role here. Because we need to believe, we need to trust and surrender to believe that God is good and able. It's no good for God to be just be good if he's not able. It's no good for God to be able if he's not good. And when we place our faith and our trust in him and submit to the commands that he's given to us to understand that he's doing this for our benefit and for our good, it's valuable. Um, so let me read the, the first verse of the book of James over us. And then we're going to talk just for a bit about who James 
was. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Who was James? First of all, he's writing this to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. These are Jewish Christians that he's writing to. These are religious people who understand religion, understand the Old Testament. He's writing to Jewish Christians. And so who is James? First of all, he's the brother of Jesus. James is the the brother of Jesus. You might have heard of Peter, James, and John. Those are the guys that were three closest to Jesus. That's not this James. That's the disciple James. This is the brother of Jesus. And, And probably James did not have any sort of saving relationship with Christ or didn't have much of a relationship at all with Jesus until after he died and resurrected. So he is the brother of Jesus. He's also the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is, is the center. It's the Mecca. It's the place where the church begins to grow. And James, after Jesus dies and resurrects and then goes back to heaven, the, the home of the church is in Jerusalem, and James is the pastor. So he is really important. He's deeply influential in the early church. And you might have heard that phrase before, the early church. What the early church is, is, okay, Jesus is gone, and now he's left his plan of salvation, which is the church. He's left his method of salvation, which is the church, with these few people. And James is the guy who's in charge of it. In fact, later on, uh, a few years later, well, after James has become the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and it's growing and, and, and things are great, there's a, elsewhere in, in the region uh, an argument develops upon, about who, what you have to do to be saved. And, and they have this thing called the Jerusalem Council. You may have heard of this before. It's in the book of Acts. They, they talk about the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council is all of the church leaders across all of the region, all of the area, and all the continent come together to, to talk about how we're going to respond to this. And James presided over that council. He was the leader of the council. So he's not just the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's the leader of the church throughout the world. Um, second thing about James, that he, he's deeply pastoral. Um, and what I mean by that is he cares and loves the people in the church. Um, Eusebius, who is a, a church historian who wrote in this time period, and we have his writings still today, he says this about James. James used to enter alone in the temple and be found kneeling and praying for the forgiveness of the people. Well, before I finish that quote, I want you to see that. James spends his life on the knees, on his knees in the temple, praying for the forgiveness of people. His, his letter, his gift to the church for all time that we still have today has 59 commands and 108 verses. But what's coming out of his heart in his prayer is asking for forgiveness. And I, I, I need you to hear that as we study this book. And I need me to hear that as we study this book. That the, the purpose of James's writing is not to tell you what to do. Hear me, the purpose of James's writing is not to tell you what to do or, or what you can do to earn something. 
The purpose of James' writing is to tell you, here are the things that will bring you joy and bring you relationship, bring you close to God. And if you don't do them, there is forgiveness. Isn't that incredible to think that the guy who wrote the book that we might consider legalistic, his heart's prayer was that God would forgive the people. So whatever you are, whatever is happening in your world, whatever has happened in your past, whatever you think is blocking you between you and God, it's a lie from the enemy and it's just not true. There is forgiveness. And I hope to be saying that every time we're together talking about the book of James. So the rest of that quote, praying for the forgiveness of the people so that his knees grew hard like a camel's because of the constant worship and kneeling, asking for forgiveness of the people. So from his excessive righteousness, he is called James the Just. It's it's pretty incredible that, that, like in my mind, when someone tells me what to do, my first reaction, my first response, my flesh-filled response is to find something about that person that they're not doing right so that I can call them a hypocrite and so that I don't have to listen to them. And I hope you can connect with that because there's a, there's a really strong likelihood, especially for those who know me well, that I'm going to be preaching about commands for the next 15 weeks and you're going to see me as a hypocrite. And it's true. But I want you to see James as as this guy who has this incredible reputation of being James the just. He's right. He does right. And here he is on his knees praying for forgiveness of people. Um, James is not just the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and deeply pastoral. He's a man who who loved his city. James never left Jerusalem. Peter and Paul, the other leaders of the church in this age, they're, they're leaving their area to go and plant churches and, and preach and, and lead churches and, and lead congregations apostolically and all those things. But James loved his city and he, he never left. Many opportunities to expand his legacy Here's, this is what's interesting. Paul's all over the New Testament. Peter's all over the New Testament. When you think of early church leaders, you think of Peter and you think of Paul, and you, don't, you, you rarely think of James. But if you were alive during this, James would have been the leader. He was not concerned with his legacy. He was concerned with his city. I long to love this community the way that James loved his community. Um, I want to spend the, the last bit of our time this morning talking about the three things that we can connect with that relate to the themes of this book. Um, the fundamental theme of this book, perhaps a, a better tagline for our sermon series would have been... Uh, Genuine faith and the natural works that come from genuine faith. That's the kind of the theme of the book. And each sermon that I preach will will talk about faith. 
and how because we trust and because we surrender, we're going to listen to these commands. But there's three things that I want us to connect with in light of, of that theme. First, it's hard to follow Jesus closely when there's so many poor representations of him in this world. James tells us and shows us how to live like Jesus in the culture. But like what's propped up nationally? For, for those of you who, have, who are engaged in a relationship with people who don't know or love Jesus, their perception of people who know and love Jesus are a poor representation of, of him. You are a poor representation of him. I am a poor representation of him. And because of that, it makes it really, really hard in this culture to follow Jesus closely because there's so many poor representations of him. Um, secondly, James loves people around the globe and he gives his life to a city. And then lastly, James prays for people who hate him and those who love him. I'm going to talk about a specific instance where that happened in just a minute. Um, but I, I want to close with a, a bit of caution for us. And this really is, is caution for me. Uh, so I'm standing in front of you at the brink of these next 15 weeks to say this, that I could really easily slip into, hey, do these six things and God's going to love you. I can, really, I can very easily slip into to legalism. I can very easily skip grace and mercy and give ourselves a grade, a pass. How did I do today with this command that Rick taught about last week? How did I do this week with controlling my tongue and give myself a pass-fail grade there? Um, but that's not the aim of this book. It's not the aim of James. It's not the aim of this church. And most importantly, it's not the aim of the gospel. The aim of this book is to show you what it looks like to live like Jesus. I want to point you to two verses that are in the book of James, and they're, they're just completely centered on grace and mercy. James 4, 6 this is a snippet of James 4, 6. It says, but he gives more grace. I want you to hear me. I need you to hear me. Wherever you are, whatever is happening in your world, there's more grace. Like it's never, ever going to be exhausted. There's more grace. Like there's nothing better that you can hear today. Whatever has happened in your past, there's more grace. Think about that. There's more grace. I like to tell this story about this idea that there's more grace. Um, Mia, my, my youngest, used to love, still does, but we don't get them as much, uh, the little hostess donuts, you know, the, the bags, you, you open them up and there's just like... When you fresh open a bag, you, you just get like hit with the, the smell, the freshness of the chocolate donuts. You guys know what I'm talking about. There was a rule for us that if there were more than two, I could have one on any day, but we needed to keep two so that Mia could have them for breakfast the next, the next morning, okay? 
I know, what a terrible dad giving his daughter chocolate donuts for breakfast. We can, we can talk about that legalism later. Uh, but if there were more than two, if there were three, I could have one. If there were two, I couldn't. I, could, I, I wasn't going to have them. This verse is like opening that fresh bag. Always. You're never going to open the bag and there be only two donuts left. There's always more grace. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, there's more grace. And the beautiful part about that idea, it's a great concept that there's always more grace, but it's an incredible concept when it appears in a book where there's 59 commands. James is saying, pounding you, pounding you, pounding you, pounding you with commands. But he ends with this. There's more grace. That's really good news, you guys. There's also more good news in James 2.13, the snippet of that is that mercy triumphs. The long of it is mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When we see a command that we fail on, and when we get to the part about taming your tongue, you're all going to fail. And we're going to... I'm going to be screaming this verse over and over on that day when I read about your tongue and how you can't control and how it's a blazing fire and a small udder that changes an entire ship. We're going to be talking about that and we're going to feel really bad about ourselves. And I want you to remember this verse on that day. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. More grace and mercy triumphs when we fail. Um... I, I want to, actually, I, actually if, you, if you don't mind, I'd like to stop and pray because I think this is vital for our lives and vital for this series that we would stop and let this hit. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for the truth of, of your word. Thank you for the commands that James has given to us. But Lord, I pray that these ideas that there's always more grace and that mercy triumphs over judgment would lodge themselves deep in our souls and we would believe you and we would give our lives to that belief that you've done everything that's needed to give us bountiful and plentiful joy. God, allow us to hear this in the depths of our souls. Thank you for Jesus. So you're going to see yourself as a failure this, in the next 15 weeks. And I want you to know that you have one enemy, and his name is Satan, and he has one weapon against you, and that's to get you to believe something that's not true. So when the enemy says you're a failure, say rob him of his weapon and say, you're right, but there's more grace and mercy will triumph. Take his weapon away 
There's a, a song that I found, a friend sent it to me, a, a band named Bad Books. This, I've never heard of them before. It's some sort of offshoot of a band called Manchester Orchestra. It doesn't matter. They have a song called Left Your Body. One of the lyrics is this, take off your shoes, start getting comfy. There's nothing but forgiveness here. There's nothing but deliverance here. It's pure and larger than you could be. Like when we receive blame, when we see our failure, take off your shoes and get comfortable and understand there's nothing but forgiveness and there's nothing but deliverance here because of Jesus. Everything is pointing to him. Even when you sin, even when you fail, even when you encounter a command that you know you can't achieve, there's grace and there's mercy there because of what Jesus has done. There's always more grace, always. And mercy triumphs over judgment. I, wanna, I told you I was going to tell you this story. I want to tell you the story about the death of James. James is addressing a crowd and he's on the roof of the temple, on the roof of the church. Imagine this church and, and James standing on the roof. And a group of, not just the church is there, but a group of people who want to see him fail are there. And those are called Pharisees. And the Pharisees climb to the top of the roof where James is and they push him off of the roof, but he doesn't die. He hits the ground and it gets up and he begins to pray. Then the Pharisees that are on the ground begin to pick up stones and throw them at him. And they're hitting him with stones. And what's James doing? He's praying for their forgiveness. But he's not dead yet. Here's how he eventually dies in this moment. He's fallen, he's been pushed off the roof of the temple. He's been stoned and he's still alive and he's still praying. A fuller, you guys know what a fuller is? In this day, he was the one who cleaned large rugs and carpets. And he would clean them, and then he would have this large stick that was probably three to four feet long and about that wide. A fuller walks up and literally beats him to death in front of hundreds of people. What's James doing? He's praying for their forgiveness. Which reminds me of another man who died a brutal and miserable death on a cross. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was being beaten to, had been being nearly beaten to death and, and was breathing his last breath on the cross? He said to his God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I pray that that Jesus and that picture of James would be the thing that we hear when we see our failure or when the enemy tells us our failure or even when we're in the midst of committing our sin, James is praying for the people that are killing him. Jesus is praying for the people that are killing him. This is your Jesus. There's always more grace and mercy triumphs. Um, it's this thought that leads me to how I think God is calling us to, to end today. Um, so uh, Rebecca and Hannah Grace and 
page. Would you guys, would you come up here? She's like, no, no, don't do this. Um, you have to come up here. So um, this church is a family and has always been a family. And it's really important for us to, to see this and to engage with this. Um, doing my best. Uh, there's a stat that I've heard somewhere between 70 and 90% of students who grow up in church abandon their faith in their first two years of college. Um, and it, that, that's, that breaks my heart just in general, but it breaks my heart even more because of these two. And so one of the, because we are like, there are, there are certain things that, that make North Church a struggle. And you guys feel that, right? But there are other things that make North Church wonderful. And one of the things that makes North Church wonderful is the fact that we're small and we're a family. And because we're small and we're family, this morning is, is incredible and, and wonderful and beautiful. So what, what I want for you is to stop and look at these two. And, and one of the things that when we walk through the membership class and we covenant together, we covenant to be a family, we covenant to pray for one another, we covenant to engage with one another. And this is the incredible, perfect time for that. Is, so I want you to see these two. And I want you to, to, in the coming weeks, in the coming days, understand that. And more than just praying for them, I want you to engage with them. Um, if you've ever been to college before, you know that one of the greatest things to get is, is like some little package, like a bake something and put it in a tin and tape it up real tight and mail it to them. Because it, it's just simple and, and it doesn't, what's in there doesn't really matter. But for them to know that there's somebody here that loves them, because there's Thinking about this idea that I just preached about, this failure and mercy and grace and the enemy lying to you, like there's going to be moments where they question everything that they were taught as kids. Like the job of some of their professors is to get them to forget about everything they ever learned. All the stuff your parents taught you is silly nonsense. Forget about it. Believe what I'm going to tell you to believe. And they're going to be, thanks, babe. Uh, I don't have to put that in my pocket anymore. Um, they're going to be faced with that. And, and this morning is an opportunity for you to see them and look at them and pray for them. But more than that, to encourage you for the next four years of your life to be praying and encouraging them in tangible ways too. Follow that? One of the beauties of being a small family church is we get to do stuff like this. And thank you for putting up with me blubbering, but I'm not finished yet. Um, you two. I want you to see this. When those times come where grace and mercy seem far away, or when your people seem far away, stop looking at me and look at them understand these people are here and like we're together to push you towards the gospel 
And my prayer is that like this moment would be burned into your brains when, when loneliness comes in. And, and I, I, like you're my daughter, I love you. And you're my daughter's best friend, I love you. And all of that, those are wonderful things. But we're here crying and we're here be, partly because of the loneliness and you're going away. But we're here, at least me, because I'm so desperate for the gospel to go deep inside of you. That when the enemy strikes, you see and understand that there's people here that love you and are praying for you and, and pressing the gospel into you. And the person standing between you is a person that's been showing you that since you were five years old, both of you. Um, so I'm going to wipe my nose and Rebecca's going to pray. Um, <clears throat> I read a quote this week that I think is perfect for this. So I want to read it over you, and then I want to pray for you. I'm going to try. When people fail you, and they will, Jesus is ever faithful. When circumstances tank, and they will, Jesus will hold you fast. He is the most trustworthy, dependable, reliable Savior, and you will never be alone he is enough for you. No one is safer. No one loves you more. No one will lead you better. God, I'm so grateful for these girls and for the opportunity to have been able to invest in them. God, it's one of the things you've used most in my life to teach me about you and your love and given me joy through them. God, as they enter this new season, that's exciting, but also scary and just unknown. And there's be times of loneliness and fear and when people let them down and circumstances let them down. Lord, we're asking for big things like that they would remember that you are enough. Yes. That you are there. That they're not alone. Will they remember this day and these people and just have a vision of us surrounding them in prayer and love and support. God, I pray that you would give them the gift of faith to believe you believe that you are who you say you are and they are who you say they are yes, Lord, yes. and that you can and will do what you say you can and will do Lord would they just truly rely on you and believe in you and Lord for <clears throat> the days they doubt and the days they feel alone and scared and hurt because they'll come we thank you that you give more grace. Yes, Lord. And that your grace is enough to cover those moments. And that mercy will triumph. And Lord, would you help us to be a church to surround them? Yes. And believe with them and for them and fight for them and for their faith. God, in prayer and encouragement. I'm so grateful for this body that we are a family and we're doing this together. Lord, would they feel that? Would they know that? 
Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.